Hello, hello, hello. Hi, guys. Okay, third and final installment of Chapter 7. This is Part 3 of 3. So I'm going to pick up on page uh, 140. Sorry. I'm going to pick up on page uh, 143. So we, we ended yesterday with this conversation about the Plaza Hotel scene. So we have our rising tension, and then we have this moment where basically Tom wins, right? No surprise there. But what this also means is that Daisy has left New York City in the plaza in Gatsby's yellow car. And Nick ended this section with this very ominous sentence where he said, so we drove on to our death through the cooling twilight. Um, and this is important. So some major action is going to take place in the last 10 pages, and I'm going to take you guys through that. Okay, so the next paragraph begins with this description of a person that we've never met. It says, The young Greek, uh, Michaelis, who ran the coffee joint beside the ash heaps, was the principal witness at the inquest. He had slept through the heat until five when he strolled over to the garage and found George Wilson sick in his office, really sick, pale as his own pale hair and shaking all over. Michaelis advised him to go to bed, but Wilson refused, saying that he'd miss a lot of business if he did. While his neighbor was trying to persuade him, a violent racket broke out overhead. Okay, so there's an incident that occurs in the evening, but the buildup to the incident happens or begins in the afternoon while the rest of the crew, Nick, Jordan, etc., while they're in New York City. And now Nick is giving us the big backstory on how this second event came to take place. So Wilson explains to Michaelis that he has his wife locked upstairs. And this random guy who works at the coffee joint is really surprised. He has never seen Wilson um, be violent or controlling of any kind. So, um, but, you know, he wasn't gonna, Michaelis was not about to get into the middle of it. So, um, Michaelis tries to find out what happened, but Wilson doesn't want to talk. Um, instead, he began to throw curious, suspicious glances at, the visit, at his visitor and ask him what he'd been doing at certain times on certain days. So if, you don't, if you're not understanding what's happening here, the, th the idea here is that Wilson wants to know who his wife has been having an affair with. He does not know, which means he does not think it's Tom. Um, okay. So then it says, just as the latter, meaning Michaelis, was getting uneasy, some workmen came in, passed the door bound for his restaurant, and Michaelis took the opportunity to get away, intending to come back later. But he didn't. He forgot to. That's all. When he came outside again, a little after seven, he was reminded of the conversation because he heard Mrs. Wilson's voice loud and scolding downstairs in the garage. Beat me, he heard her cry. Throw me down and beat me, you dirty little coward. So obviously... Um, there is um, a conflict happening between George Wilson and his wife, Myrtle. All right, I'm going to keep reading this part. A moment later, she rushed out into the dusk, waving her hands and shouting. Before he could move from his door, the business was over. Hmm, I wonder what happened. Let's keep reading. The death car, as the newspapers called it, didn't stop. It came out of the gathering darkness, wavered tragically for a moment, then disappeared around the next bend. Michaelis wasn't even sure of its color. He told the first policeman it was a light green. The other car, the one going toward New York, came to rest 100 yards beyond, and its driver hurried back to where Myrtle 
Wilson, her life violently extinguished, knelt in the road and mingled her thick, dark blood with the dust. Michaelis and this man reached her first, but when they, <clears throat> but when they had torn open her shirtwaist, still damp with perspiration, they saw that her left breast was swinging loose like a flap, and there was no need to listen for the heartbeat. The mouth was wide open, ripped at the corners, as though she had choked a little and giving up the tremendous vitality she had stored so long. So Myrtle Wilson gets hit by a car, and she gets killed immediately. So the next question is, that is slightly unclear, but you might be able to guess, is who hit Myrtle? We know it's not Tom, who is now driving his own car, because of what happens next. We, Nick narrates, we saw the three or four automobiles in the crowd when we were still some distance away. Okay, so <clears throat> we know it's not Tom because Tom and Nick and Jordan are taking the same route home, and they come across the accident after it's already happened. And then Tom, before understanding who's been hit, says, oh, a wreck, that's good. Wilson will have a little business. Nick narrates, he slowed down but still without any intention of stopping until we came near. The hushed, intent faces of the people at the garage door made him automatically put on the brakes. Well, take a look, he said doubtfully, just a look. Okay, so then they they all get out and, <coughs> excuse me, Tom goes in and they see Wilson's basically sitting there moaning over and over again. Um... So there are people there, but no one really knows what to do. And um, Nick tells us that Myrtle Wilson's body is wrapped in a blanket and then another blanket. You know, she's covered, but she's still there. Um, and then the motorcycle policeman is there and he's interviewing people. And then Nick says, at first I couldn't find the source of the high groaning words that echoed clamorously through the bear garage. Then I saw Wilson standing on the raised threshold of his office, swaying back and forth. And taking and holding to the doorpost with both hands, some man was talking to him in a low voice, attempting from time to time to lay a hand on his shoulder. But Wilson neither heard nor saw. His eyes would drop slowly from the swinging light to the laden table by the wall, and then the jerk, then jerk back to the light again. And he gave out and incessantly, out incessantly his high horrible call. And he's yelling. Wilson is yelling over and over again. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's just screaming this. So it's a very eerie scene. There is a dead body. There is a man who's screaming at the top of his lungs and mourning. And you got to remember like this accident has just happened. So although Nick and Tom and Jordan don't witness it, they find, they find the everything right after. Okay. Um, so the policeman is trying to inquire and um, Wilson is, it's, it's very hard for the policeman to communicate. And um, Tom jumps in and basically says, I want to know what happened. And then Wilson in his own broken way tells him, Otto hit her, instantly killed. Or not Wilson, sorry. And then um, Wilson, Tom's like, instantly killed. And then Wilson says, she ran out. Oh, no, sorry. This is a bystander, I think. She ran out on the road. Um, son of a bitch didn't even stop the car. There were two cars, said Michaelis, one coming, one going. Going where, asked the policeman keenly. One going each way. Well, she, his hand rode toward the blankets but stopped halfway and fell to his side. She ran out there, and the one coming from New York knocked right into her, going 30 or 40 miles an hour. Um, okay, so 
then it says, uh, it was so, uh, a, a bystander says, it was a yellow car, he said. Big yellow car, new. And then the policeman says, oh, did you see the accident? And he said, no, but the car passed me down the road going faster than 40, going 50 or 60. Okay, and then Wilson says, you don't, he screams, you don't have to tell me what kind of car it was. I know what kind of car it was. Watching Tom, this is Nick narrating, watching Tom, I saw the wad of muscle back of his shoulder tighten under his coat. He walked quickly over to Wilson, standing in front of him, seized him firmly by the upper arms. You've got to pull yourself together, he said with soothing gruffness, gruffiness. Wilson, Wilson's eyes fell upon Tom. He started on his tiptoes, and then he would have collapsed to his knees had, Tom, had not Tom held him upright. Listen, said Tom, shaking him a little. I just got here a minute ago from New York. I was bringing you that coupe we've been talking about, the, that yellow car I was driving this afternoon wasn't mine. Do you hear? I haven't seen it all afternoon. Um, and then the bystander says, um, the, uh, okay, so Nick is Nick and the bystander are the only one that hear this, but the policeman caught something in the tone and looked over with truculent eyes. What's all that? The policeman demands of Tom. I'm a friend of his. Tom turned his head but kept his hands from Wilson's body. He says he knows the car that did it. It was a yellow car. Some dim impulse moved a, <clears throat> the policeman to look suspiciously at Tom. And what color is your car? It's a blue car, a coupe. We've come straight from New York, I said. So Nick is there to obviously say, like, look, Tom did not do this. He's been driving a blue car. I've been with him all night. Okay. Um, so then um, the, the policeman continues to try to interrogate Wilson, and uh, Tom tries to rally people to sit with Wilson, and then he gets in his car, and he gruffly walks home. Okay, I want to read this last part. Self-consciously, with his authoritative arms breaking the way, we push through the still-gathering crowd, passing a hurried doctor, case in hand, who had been sent for in a wild hope half an hour ago. Tom drove slowly until we were beyond the bend. Then his foot came down hard, and the coupe raced all the, along through the night. In a little while, I heard a low, husky sob, and so, saw the tears overflowing down his face. The goddamn coward, he whimpered. He didn't even stop his car. Okay, so if you didn't know, I'm confirming this before we move on. The car that hit Myrtle was Gatsby's car. So either Gatsby was driving or Daisy was driving. And in the movie, they do a really good job of this, where they're driving super fast through town, through the Valley of Ashes, and a car's coming toward them. So Myrtle then runs out into middle into the middle of the road because remember Myrtle thinks it's Tom because she saw Tom driving the yellow car earlier. She runs out in the middle of the road and she tries to get the car to stop, but the car does not stop. It hits her and then the car keeps going. So there's a lot of things happening here that are really awful. One is that the car doesn't stop for her, hits the brakes or it doesn't swerve, try to swerve out of the way. The other thing is, upon impacting her, the car continues to go. And uh, Tom is obviously very upset, but he also wants to make sure that Wilson knows that, you know, he didn't do this. Okay, back to the book. <clears throat> they, the three of them, Nick, Tom, and Jordan, drive back to the Buchanan's home. 
The Buchanan's house floated suddenly toward us through the dark, rustling trees. Tom stopped beside the porch and looked up at the second floor where the two windows bloomed with light among the vine. vines. Daisy's home, he said, and we got out of the car. He glanced at me and frowned slightly. I ought to have dropped you off in West Egg, Nick. There's nothing we can do tonight. A change had come over him, and he spoke gravely and with decision. As we walked across the moonlit gravel to the porch, he disposed of the situation in a few brisk phrases. I'll telephone for a taxi to take you home. And while you're waiting, you and Jordan better go in the kitchen and have them get you some supper if you want any. He opened the door. Come on, come in. No, thanks. But I'd be glad if you ordered me a taxi. I'll wait outside. So notice here, like Nick is like, I don't want to go in. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to stand outside. And this is appropriate considering what he has just seen. A woman has been killed. He knew the woman. Um, obviously, he also knew that Tom was sleeping with her and that Tom also had like a relationship with the husband in terms of like a business, you know, relationship. And so Nick is feeling quite queasy, understandably so. Jordan put her hand on my arm. Won't you come in, Nick? No, thanks. I was feeling a little sick and I wanted to be alone, but Jordan lingered for a moment more. It's only half past nine, she said. And then Nick narrates this. He doesn't say it to Jordan. He says, I'd be damned if I'd go in. I'd had enough of all of them for one day and suddenly that included Jordan too. She must have seen something in this, of this in my expression for she turned abruptly away and ran up the porch steps into the house. So... You have to also understand that like Nick is an outsider to this circle of incredibly wealthy people and he's had fun this summer, right? But the summer has in the last, you know, hour turned incredibly tragic and Nick is sort of like, I'm done with this. This is disgusting how you people operate. Okay. Um, so then he's, Nick is walking around outside the Buchanan's home when Gatsby appears um, and he he's there waiting under Daisy's window. So let's figure out why. Nick says, what are you doing? And Gatsby says, just standing here, old sport. Nick narrates, somehow that seemed a despicable occupation. For all I knew, he was going to rob the house in a moment. I wouldn't have been surprised to see sinister faces, the faces of Wolfsheim's people behind him in the dark shrubbery. Well, this is huge, guys, because Nick is now saying, like, I don't even know who you are, Gatsby. Like, you've been lying this whole time. You know, you're trying to hide who you are. You're really a guy who's making tons of money off of organized crime, and you're you're not telling anyone. Um, so then Gatsby says, did you see any trouble on the road? He asked after a minute. Yes. He hesitated. Was she killed? Yes. Gatsby says, I thought so. I told Daisy I thought so. It's better that the shot could come all at once. She stood it pretty well. He spoke as if Daisy's reaction was the only thing that mattered. Okay, this is kind of, I want to stop here for a second because the death of Myrtle, who is of course a human, seems to be of little importance to every single character in the book, with the exception of Nick Carraway. Her death is not relevant to Gatsby, to Tom, to Daisy, to Jordan. And that's, a, that's again a comment from Fitzgerald. That's an argument from Fitzgerald about what money can do to people and how out of touch the, the high class is with the low class. They don't value them. 
they don't see them as human beings. They don't grieve the loss of their life. And um, if we were in class, we would talk about to what extent do we still see that today? Okay, I got to keep reading because there's a lot more detail here. Um, uh, after this comment, Nick says, I disliked him so much by this time that I didn't find it necessary to tell him he was wrong. Oh, sorry. Gatsby has a comment before this where he says, I got to go to West Egg by a side road. He went on and left the, oh, I got to West Egg by a side road and left the car in my garage. I don't think anybody saw us, but of course I can't be sure. And so Nick knows like, no, everybody knew that it was, that it's a big yellow car. Um, but he says he, he disliked him so much. He can't even say anything. Um, so then one more important detail, guys. Um, Gatsby says, who was the woman? And Nick says, her name was Wilson, her husband. Oh, sorry. That was my phone. Okay. Um, okay, good. We're still recording. Um, he says her husband owns the garage. How the devil did it happen? And Gatsby says, well, I tried to swing the wheel. He broke off and suddenly I guessed the truth. Was Daisy driving? Yes. He said after a moment, but of course I'll say I was. You see, when we left New York, she was very nervous, and she thought it would steady her to drive. And this woman rushed out at us, just as we were passing a car coming the other way. It all happened in a minute, but it seemed to me she wanted to speak to us, thought we were somebody she knew. Well, first Daisy turned away from the woman toward the other car, and then she lost her nerve and turned back. The second my hand reached the wheel, I felt the shock. It must have killed her instantly. And then Nick says, it ripped her open. And then Gatsby cuts him off and says, don't tell me, old sport. He winced. Gatsby continues. Anyhow, Daisy stepped on it. I tried to make her stop, but she couldn't. So I pulled on the emergency brake. Then she fell over into my lap, and I drove on. She'll be all right tomorrow, he said presently. I'm just going to wait here to see if he tries to bother her about the unpleasantness this afternoon. She's locked herself in her room, and if he tries any brutality, she's going to turn the light out, light out and on again. So Gatsby is standing underneath this window because he thinks that he's going to rescue Daisy if Tom tries anything, which we know as the reader, like Gatsby is living in la-la land. She doesn't care about him. Tom doesn't care about him. He's not going to do anything to Daisy. Um, Nick says, he won't touch her, I said. He's not thinking about her. And then um, Nick says, how long are you going to wait here? And Gatsby says, all night if necessary. Anyhow, till they go to bed. A new, Nick narrates, a new viewpoint occurred to me. Suppose Tom found out that Daisy had been driving. He might think he saw a connection in it. He might think anything. I looked at the house. There were two or three bright windows downstairs and the pink glow from Daisy's room on the second floor. You wait here, I said. I'll see if there's any sign of a commotion. Okay, so um, Nick goes back to look in the house. And this is what he sees. And this is like such a key scene. Okay, so he looks into the house and he says, Nick says, Daisy and Tom were sitting opposite each other at the kitchen table with a plate of cold fried chicken between them and two bottles of ale. He was talking intently across the table at her, and in his earnestness, his hand had fallen upon and covered her own. Once in a while, she looked up at him and nodded in agreement. They weren't happy, and neither of them had touched the chicken or the ale, and yet they weren't unhappy either. There was an unmistakable air of natural intimacy about the picture, and anybody would have said that they were conspiring together. Okay, this is key. Because remember, no matter how you want to slice it, Tom and Daisy 
are in this high social class. They are the wealthy. They are the most protected. Who knows what they're saying to each other right now, but they're in agreement, which means they're going to do everything they can to protect themselves. And maybe you're guessing as to what moves they're going to make so that people don't accuse Daisy of this crime, but they're going to make sure that nobody knows that she did this and nobody is ever going to, to associate her with this crime. They're going to cover it up in any way they can because that's what they're capable of doing. Yes, their marriage has them form this alliance together, but it's also their, excuse me, social class that has made them form this alliance. Um, okay. Nick narrates, as I tiptoed from the porch, I heard my taxi feeling its way along the dark road toward the house. Gatsby was waiting where I'd left him in the drive. Is it all quiet up there? He asked anxiously. Yes, it's all quiet. I hesitated. You better come home and get some sleep. He shook his head. I want to wait here till Daisy goes to bed. Good night, old sport. I love how Nick ends this chapter, how Fitzgerald ends this chapter. He put his hands in his coat pockets and turned back eagerly to his scrutiny of the house, as though my presence marred the sacredness of the vigil. So I walked away and left him standing there in the moonlight, watching over nothing. And that's it. Gatsby, oh, so many things. One, Gatsby doesn't get it. It's over. The dream is dead. Not only that, but now that this drama has occurred, Gatsby is foolishly going to do everything he can to protect Daisy, even though you guessed it, at this point in the story, Daisy wants nothing to do with Gatsby. She didn't even know the guy. He had lied to her about who he was. Tom and Daisy, as the wealthy people in the story, will figure out a way to make sure that they are blameless in this matter. They'll also figure out a way to protect themselves, to make sure that the, they are never associated with this crime. Even though when you think about it, like they're both extremely responsible for the crime. Tom was messing around with Myrtle Wilson. Tom lied to Wilson the whole time. Daisy's the one that killed Myrtle Wilson. Like they have single-handedly destroyed a woman's life and obviously destroyed George's, George Wilson's life. But because George Wilson and Myrtle Wilson are low-class people, Daisy and Tom, at the end of the day, don't actually care about them. Now, Tom was, of course, sad that Myrtle died, but now that she's dead, he's going to do everything he can to protect his wife, his status, his power. And there's Gatsby standing outside alone. And I love the line watching over nothing because that's true. Daisy Buchanan, like I know how the book's going to end. I don't want to give anything away. But you kind of sense as the reader, I'm guessing you're sensing as the reader, she is never going to speak to that man again. And, you, and that's what I would say if I were this far in the book. Um, and we're going to see how that plays out in the end. Oh, gosh, guys. Wow. Chapter seven. All right. So that's chapter seven. Make sure you do your um, worksheet. It's due Friday at midnight. And I know this was a long chapter, but I think you guys are awesome for listening to all these podcasts. And I think you're awesome for trying to get through the book on your own. If you need me, please email me. That's it. Okay, bye.